Well, today we're focusing on another important area of becoming and really trying to answer this question right here. How do I become financially free? How how do I become financially free? And truth be told, some of your hopes got dashed last month when you did not win the $1 billion Powerball, right? I mean, that was kind of your hopes for financial freedom. If only I could win that Powerball, it didn't quite work out the way you'd hoped. Um, But that would have been one way to become financially free. Uh, But in all seriousness, this is a big question for all of us because nothing adds stress to our life like money pressure, does it? And if you didn't know this, more people in this country every single year declare bankruptcy uh, than graduate from college. Uh, 57% of Americans, believe it or not, have less than $1,000 to their name. And the average person in America is nearly $5,000 in credit card debt. So financial freedom sounds pretty good, doesn't it? It sounds good. And statistically speaking, even right now, everybody who went to the mall today, only 25% of them even know what they're shopping for. Only 25%. The rest, and we've all been there, right? It's just went wander aimlessly until I bump into something I feel like I need to buy, right? And that's how, at one point, you ended up with that Nickelback CD, right? Uh, that's how you ended up with that pair of Zubas. And you know, Let's say it together, buyer's remorse, right? I mean, what am I going to do with these Zubas? I can't even wear them in public unless I'm weird. And if you're wearing Zubas this morning, we love you. God loves you. All right, so anyway, but let me ask you an honest question. If you could go all the way back to your college years and you could start over financially, would you do anything different? If you could go back to your very first real job, if you could go back to when you first got married, would you do anything different financially? And the answer for all of us is yes, of course. Of course we would. Um, Why? Because when we were younger, we had a naive view of money, didn't we? We assumed it would be easy to make and manage money. But many of us found out the hard way how untrue that was. And for many of us, we began some bad habits financially that we never really outgrew. We carried them into adulthood. We carried them through our marriage. And here we find ourselves in a place not financially free, wondering if there is a way to do it differently. And that's why I love what Dave Ramsey says about money. And this is the first fill-in in in your notes. That winning with money is 80% behavior and 20% money. Winning with money is 80% behavior and 20% money. And it's true. Because for many of us, I mean, as Americans, we have grown up with a wrong plan. And let me just talk to you about that just for a minute, all right? Here is the financial plan that as Americans we have had. That when we get paid, the very first thing we do is we, what? We spend, don't we? we? We like to spend. And for many of us, when the paycheck comes, we are rich without a plan, right? We're like, hey, we can like go out to eat and buy some stuff and get some more Zubas. I mean, it's like, hey, we are like all in on this thing. We, we want to spend. And obviously, right, that's what our culture has taught us to do, to spend, to spend, to spend. And then oftentimes what we do is, number two, uh, then we pay debt, don't we? Now, we don't really pay down debt. What I mean by this is that we make minimum payments on things we really can't afford, right? 
And so oftentimes when we're going to buy something, we say, hey, I, I don't really need to know how much it is because I know I already know I can't afford it. Just tell me what is the minimum payment because maybe I'll be able to pay that. The third thing we do is we pay taxes. At least you should or you go to jail. Number four. All right, this is important. And then what we do is we we like to save a little bit, don't we? All right, we want to put some away maybe for a rainy day. And then number five, we give. All right, we come in here on a Sunday morning and we might drop a few bucks in the offering or, you know, maybe you see somebody in need and you're like, hey, maybe we could do something. Or you see something going on in the community and you're like, hey, we should be a part of that, right? And so this has become the pattern of our life, the financial plan, that to be honest has got us into so much trouble. This is the plan that has created so much pressure and stress in our life. And so we said, well, if I don't spend it all, right, out of the gate, if I don't owe it all, if the government doesn't take it all, and if I don't store it all, then maybe I'll give some to God and some to others. This is how many of us have lived our lives. And truth be told, we live this way and we tend to run ourselves ragged financially. And the question begs, why do we keep doing it? Why do we do it? Because for many of us, we just don't know there's another way. We don't know there's another plan. We've all experienced this kind of pressure. And the good news this morning is that it's not too late to recover. It's not too late to get in control of your finances. If we will begin to view money the way God wants us to view money, the same way he does, and if we become obedient to how he says we should handle our money. Now, here's what I find super intriguing and interesting about Jesus. Is that as you read the New Testament, here's what you'll find. That Jesus talked more about money, more about this, than he did of any other subject. In fact, he talked more about money and handling your finances than heaven and hell combined. Why? Why was this such a big deal to Jesus? Well, we find out why in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. And the story reads like this. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. See, Jesus is saying, if you're assuming that I know the way to eternal life and you're calling me good, are you assuming then, can I assume that you're assuming that I am the Son of God? Jesus answers his question about eternal life. He says, well, you know the commandments. You've read about in the Old Testament, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. You shall not cheer for the Packers. You should honor your father and mother. I mean, the list goes on and on. Teacher, he declared, all of these things I've kept since I was a boy. <laughs> like, man, I'm in. I followed the rule of the law, and Jesus looked at him, and I love this. Jesus looked at him, and he, what's that word? He loved him. Now, this is a man that was not following Jesus. This is a man that had some things to work out in his own life. And Jesus did not look at him in any other way, shape, or form. Right where he was at on his journey. And Jesus just loved him. And Jesus said, one thing you lack, though. I mean, I know you've been keeping all the commandments. But there's one thing you lack. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go sell everything you have and give it all to the poor. 
and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, why was this man sad? It wasn't because he was well off. Jesus has nothing against anybody who has wealth. That is not the idea that Jesus is trying to say. In fact, I don't even think Jesus' intention was to really let him sell absolutely everything. I think it was a test. I think Jesus wanted to find out where his heart was really at. Jesus knew that this man's struggle was with how he viewed his stuff and how he viewed his money, that it would keep him from fully trusting in God. And Jesus is making this point that he makes to us 2,000 years later. It's still the same point. And here it is, that God's chief competition for your heart will always be your money and your stuff. Not the devil. The devil is not the chief competitor for your heart. The chief competitor for your heart and my heart, let me say it again, is our money and our stuff. You see, your next fill-in, Jesus has never been interested in capturing your money. Rather, he's interested in capturing your heart. He's never been interested in capturing your money. In fact, I can't find one place that Jesus ever asked people to give him money. He was never after people's money. If he wasn't after people's money, then why did he talk more about money than any other subject? Because he understood this principle and how it works in our human heart. That how closely our heart is tied and our security and our trust is tied to our money and our stuff. Because you and I both want roofs over our head. We both want food to eat. We, both, we all want to have the security in life for us and our family. And Jesus is saying, I get it and I understand it, but here's this line. You would begin to trust yourself and your stuff more than you trust me. And when that happens, we don't have a money issue. We have a heart issue issue. We have a heart issue. See, Jesus was never trying to get people's money. He was always trying to keep people's money from getting them. It's his whole point. And that's why in Matthew 6, 24, he said this, no man can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and the devil. Isn't that what it says? No. What does it say? God and money. You can't serve both God and money. It's the chief competition for our heart. And so your next fill-in, in order to become financially free, I have to first decide who or what my trust will be in. I'm telling you what, if you've been longing for financial freedom, this is the first thing. You have to decide where your trust lies. Does it lie in your money and your stuff, or does, it be, or does it lie in God, right? I mean, let's think about this. Is your trust going to be in your job? Because guess what? That could change next month. Is your trust in a paycheck? That could change next week. Is your trust going to be in the government? Dear God, I hope not. <laughs> right? Is your trust going to be in your ability to make and earn wealth? 
You're one car accident away from your ability being gone. Where is your trust going to lie? You see, for many of us, it's easy to be lean into our ability. Well, look what I've built. Look at my wealth. Look at everything that I've done, right? Look at how successful I am. Look at how together I am. Look at all the promotions I've had. Look at, look at what's going on in my life. And to that, Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18 says this, be careful not to say, my own ability and skill have gotten me this wealth. You must remember the Lord your God for he is the one who gives ability to get wealth. It's fascinating, isn't it? He's saying don't ever think that you've achieved your wealth, your status, your stuff by your own strength, your own ability, your own energy. It was the Lord who gave you the power to be successful. It was the Lord who opened up that opportunity. It was the Lord who helped you get those promotions and use the gifts that he has given you since the time you were born. It's all come from him. He's given us the ability for the job. All of those skills that we needed. It made me think of this this week. Uh, Several years ago, my wife and I, we went to Branson, Missouri with my in-laws. Anybody like Branson, Missouri? Right? If you're under 30, you're like, where's Branson? Anyway, uh, I'd gone there when I was a kid, and I hadn't been there uh, since then. And so we went to Branson, Missouri, and one day... Uh, my in-laws decided that they were going to rent a pontoon that we were all going to go out. And so we went on in this beautiful lake. It was a beautiful day. And as we came around this bend, suddenly we saw a huge cliff with all these boats around it. And the closer we got, what we found is that there were some idiots jumping off the cliff into the water, right? We're like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. And the rest of the people in the boat said, that looks awesome. And so if you know anything about me, I am terrified of heights. I don't like heights at all. And to be truthful, it's not even like a fear of heights. It's a fear of falling and dying, right? I mean, that's ultimately, I mean, like if I feel secure, whatever, but I don't like heights. I don't like to be vulnerable. It's just not my thing. And so when my wife begins some peer pressure and says, hey, we should go jump off the cliff, right? I'm like, you're nuts. I am not jumping off of that thing, right? And then, the in, you know, and then my brother and sister-in-law, they're adding some peer pressure. And if you ever wondered if peer pressure works, doesn't it all? It still works, right? Because I find myself looking up going, it doesn't look that far. And so we swim around to the backside of this huge cliff. Now to climb up this cliff, it was, it was steep and it was slippery because idiots were jumping in the water and swimming around again and climbing up. And so the the rocks are wet and it's very steep and there's not much to hang on to. And I'm like, what am I doing right now? This is not worth my life. Have you ever had a moment like this? Right? And then you kept going and you realized how stupid you were. And so we get up to the top of this thing and we walk over to the edge. And as God is my witness, I thought some words I cannot say out loud right now. All right? I was like, there is no way I am jumping off of this cliff. I mean, it looked three times as high as it did from down there. I mean, and, and people are just jumping off, ooh, you know, and then I see this other guy, and God is my witness, this guy had been up there three hours trying to convince himself to jump. <laughs> Fetal position, sucking the thumb, I mean, it was bad. And I thought to myself, okay, I've got a couple options here. Either I can jump, Jesus take the wheel, right? I mean, I can just jump, or I can climb back down the slippery slope, and I'm not doing that. Or I can literally grow old and die on top of this cliff. I mean, those are my options. I had nothing else going for me. And so I decided before I waited too long that I'm just going to jump. I'm just going to do it. And so I backed up, and I mean, I, 
it took every fiber in my being to get myself to go. And I launched myself off and landed in the water and I lived. Can you believe it? I lived. And I just thought, oh my gosh, that was actually kind of fun. Let's do it again. And so I swam around to the backside. And I'm slipping up the cliff. You know, and then I jumped again and I thought, that's stupid. I'm not doing that anymore, right? And I, and I didn't do it. Um, but it took every, everything in me to make that decision to jump. And here's the thing I want to point out. That if you are wanting financial freedom in your life, you will be on the edge of a cliff and you are going to have to decide whether or not you are going to jump into your heavenly father's arms. You are going to have to decide on that cliff, right? This plan that you've been that hasn't been working and the pressure's been building, you're going to have to decide, am I going to jump and trust God or not? This is the key issue that you are going to have to wrestle to the ground. This is it right here. All of it hinges on this. In fact, if you decide that you are not going to put your trust in God, Rather you say, I'd rather trust my stuff, I'd rather trust my ability, I'd rather trust my own potential for earning power, then the rest of what I'm about to say in this message is going to make no sense to you, and you can check out, you can sleep, you can do whatever you want. Because this whole thing hinges on this one principle. Where does your trust lie? That's it. And every single one of us are on the edge of the cliff, so to speak. And we have to decide if we're going to jump or not. We have to decide what we're going to do. And so, you say, Ryan, if I'm going to jump, how does it even begin? Your next villain, how does financial trust in God begin? And it begins by recognizing he owns it all and we are just the managers. He owns it all and we are just the managers. The beginning of finding financial freedom when I realize that everything I possess, my house, my car, my clothes, my bank account, that pair of Zubas, that Nickelback CD, all of it belongs to God. And I own none of it. I'm taking none of it with me. I am simply a manager here on earth. That's why Psalm 24.1 says this, that the earth is the Lord's and, what's that word? And everything is. In it. Do you know what everything in the Greek means? Everything. That's what it means. I know it's really deep. Everything means everything. Everything in the, in the earth is the Lord's, belongs to him. We're not taking it with us. It all stays behind. And the more we realize this and understand money's right place in our life, we can begin to trust God more and more because none of it's ours anyway. It all belongs to him. And then God gives us incredible promises like this one in Philippians 4.19. And maybe it will encourage you like it's encouraged me for so many years. And my God will supply every need of yours according to your great strategy, ability, job creation. You know, I mean, that's where it's at, right? No. My God will supply every one of your needs according to to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. It's an incredible promise. And we have a, a budget, monthly budget sheet that we work with at home. And this scripture is right on the front of that thing. So that every single month as we're going through our budget, it just reminds me I'm not the provider, Jesus is. I'm putting all my trust in you, God. I'm following your plan and I'm believing in you that you're going to provide. 
And I'm telling you what he has. He has always seen us through. And so your next fill in. God's promise to us is that if we will do finances his way and put our trust in him, if we jump over the cliff, he will provide everything we need. He will provide everything we need. And believe it or not, God's plan that I'm about to show you right here real quickly is completely opposite of this. Instead of spending and paying debt and taxes and saving and giving, God's plan looks just like this. That the very first thing that you would do with your money is you would give. See, I told you I'd lose you. Not very popular. The second thing that you would do is you would save. The third thing you would do is pay taxes. Again, because if you don't, go to jail. Number four, this is where you would pay your debt. And number five, this is where you would spend. If you search scripture over and over and over again, this is the plan that you get from your heavenly father if you want to learn how to be financially free, if you want to become a person that has financial freedom. It's a system and it's a plan that God has given us. And the reason this is important in figuring out how to make your money work is because 70% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck and are one big crisis away from financial ruin. This is not the new creation that Jesus invited us into. This is not the financial freedom that God has invited us to live. And this plan, it doesn't matter if you're making $30,000 a year or $300,000 a year. You always need a plan, right? You always need a plan. And so we're going to walk through each one of these, and I'm going to just give you a few thoughts, right? And then we're going to wrap up. And if it helps you, it helps you. If not, whatever. Donuts were free, right? All right, so here we go. Ready? Number one, give. And to give, the, give God the first 10% by faith. The very first 10% of your income that you receive goes back to God. Now, I know immediately some of you are thinking, shocker, right? The pastor up there is saying that you should give money to the church, right? I get it. I see it, right? And believe me, I understand some of that thought process. I've seen the money abuses and things that happen inside of a church. I get it. Like, I wouldn't even blame you for that for one second. But if you hung around Riverway for a little bit and you'd see how serious we are about prioritizing this in our own lives and prioritizing this in our church, right, to recognize how much we give back to the community and how much we invest, right, hang around here. And if that's not good enough, I would just ask you to table this just for a minute Table those thoughts for a moment because this was really important to Jesus and it's why he talked about it more than any other subject. Because he wants something for us. He wants to invite and lead us into a new way of living that brings us financial freedom and makes us more like him. It brings the freedom in our life that we want. And so Proverbs 3.9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Here it is. First and then. Two important words. First and then. Give to God first and then God's provision will take place in your life. 
Trust God first. Take the leap of faith off the cliff saying, Jesus, take the wheel. And then God will begin to do miracles financially and blessings in your life that you never thought possible. But it's that leap of faith. It's jumping off. It's first and then. And so let me ask you this question. If God were to say to you and make you this promise, if you give me the first 10% of your income, I will provide for all of these things like you've never had before. And I will protect you. Would you do it? Absolutely you would. Because as Americans, what do we love to see when we buy something? Stamped right on the product. 100% guarantee. We love guarantees. I was thinking about a clip from Tommy Boy that I'm not going to bring up because it wouldn't be appropriate. But anyway, random thoughts. Okay, stay on track. Here we go. Right. Give the first 10%. Would you do it if, you made the, if God made that kind of promise to you? I mean, look at this in Malachi 3, chapter 8. This is what this conversation between God and his people was like. It said, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me. This is what God is saying. But you ask, how are we robbing you? Well, in tithes and offerings. And this word tithe just means a tenth. That's what it means. He says, you're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Instead, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. In other words, give to me first so my kingdom can keep being expanded and people can be reached. Give to me first. And then he says a phrase that is never recorded anywhere else in all of Scripture. God says these words, test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines of your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations, all the people around you will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. God says, I'm about to make you a promise. You've been doing it the wrong way. I know your plan has been this. I know your plan has been to spend debt, all this, and then, hey, if there's something left over, maybe we'll give something. God says, no, 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 this is the wrong plan. This is the plan that's going to lead to financial freedom. If you will jump off the cliff, if you'll learn to trust me, he says, I'm going to provide for all of this. But it takes a step of faith. Right, if we wait till the very end and we just hope, hey, if God gives me an extra 10% at the end of the month, I'll surely give it. But guess what? Guess how much faith that took? Zero. And remember, this is key. This has never been about money. It's always been about your heart. And that's why God says, I know how closely this is to you, your money and your stuff. I know security is so important to you. And that's why I want you to trust me. And by trusting me, I'm going to ask you to give me the first 10%. Because it's faith. You give it by faith. And you see what God does. Why? Because it becomes very easy to trust our own ability, our own bank accounts, our own jobs over trusting him. But when you take the step of faith, I'm telling you what, you're going to see provision happen in your life like so many of us have seen in our own life. So that's step number one. Step number two is save. And a good goal for saving is 10 to 15%. This is a great goal. And ultimately what you'd like to do is you'd like to have three months as a cushion of savings. So important. Now, if you have a lot of debt, what we would encourage you to do is to have an emergency fund. Get $1,000 in a savings account and then start going after your debt. 
When your debt's paid off, then you begin to say, hey, we're going to get three months in storage just in case something were to happen. And the emergency fund is important because if you start attacking debt and a crisis happens and you can't pay for it, guess how you're going to pay for it? You're going to pull out that credit card again and you're going to put it on there, right? So again, this is part of the plan that saving is so important and make it automatic if you can. Uh, There's many employers that offer this. You can give to a savings account. You can give to your retirement all before you ever see it. And take it from me. It is much easier to not spend something you don't see, right? It's so much easier when you make it that way. And so why do we save? Because you know as well as I do that a rainy day is coming sooner or later, isn't there? And isn't it true when you feel like you're down, like just financially you're just in the pits, like that's when everything goes wrong, right? And then your, your life kind of sounds like a sad country song. <laughs> you're like, how did I get here? Um, we know it's coming. But when you start saving, it's amazing how some of those other problems begin to disappear. This is what Proverbs 21.20 says. There is a desirable treasure and olive oil in the dwelling of the wise. In other words, if you went into a wise person's house, you're going to see some olive on storage. You're going to see some finances on storage. But a foolish person devours all that he has. A foolish person devours all that he has. We've been there. So saving is so important. Did you know that $100 a month between the ages of 30 and 70 in a good mutual fund is $1.1 million. 100 bucks a month. In 40 years, do you know how much you would have put into that account? $48,000. And the amazing power of compound interest would have given you over a million dollars scot-free. How important is it to save? I mean, 100 bucks a month, come on, that's cable money. Right? For some of you, that's Starbucks money, unfortunately. Um, you know? So you can either start saving or you can be broke. Live in financial pressure. This isn't what God's invited us into. Number three, God's plan is to pay taxes. Jesus said, pay Caesar what Caesar's owed, right? Or go to jail. Right? All right, number four. We're getting that one. Pay your debts. Pay your debts. Over and over in Scripture, again, we see this. Pay your debts. Did you know the average American spends $1,500 on liquid debt interest? That means like $1,500 a year, like in credit card interest. That's a lot of money. Guess what? That's more than $100 a month that could be going into a mutual fund and helping set you up for retirement. The average family is nearly $10,000 in credit card debt. So let me just hang out here for one second. I don't want to make you feel guilty at all because there was a time where Tara and I were overwhelmed by our credit card debt. And many years ago, we cut it up and we never looked back. And we don't own a credit card. We just said never again. We're never going to let that be an anchor on our, on our soul, on our family, on our marriage. We're just not going to do it. Because here's the deal, and you know this. Credit card companies suck you in with rewards and points and miles and a stupid T-shirt that doesn't fit and you're never going to wear it. Why? Because they know they always win in the end. Credit card companies are not in the business of giving you airline miles. They are in the business of taking you for everything you have. Because they understand something about you, and they understand something about me, that as Americans, we like to buy on impulse, right? And so we just spend, we spend, we spend. But here's what we know about debt. Debt 
equals risk. Debt equals risk. And what are you putting at risk? A lot. You're putting your financial future at risk. You're putting a home in risk. You're putting cars in risk. You're talking about your kid's financial future. You're putting in risk. The more and more we're in debt. And we begin to say, I owe, I owe. It's off to work, I go. And pretty soon your whole life, you end up living from behind the eight ball, catching up, catching up, catching up. And this is not the life that God has invited you and I into. It's not the path to financial freedom. Nobody has created and generated wealth by using credit cards. Nobody. Right? But they're so tempting. And so I would encourage you, when you're paying off debt, use the debt snowball that Dave Ramsey talks about. Pay the smallest debt off first, regardless of interest. Because guess what? Behavior trumps interest rates. And when you pay that first thing off, guess what you're going to feel like? And then you take that money and you add it to the next smallest debt and you pay that thing off and you pay that thing off and pay that thing off and pretty soon it becomes like a snowball down the hill and you have wiped out your debt. Could you imagine living debt-free? No debt. That's what God invites us into. And so, your next fill-in. You can raise your standard of living through debt or you can raise the quality of your life through discipline. It's your choice. You can raise your standard of living through debt or you can raise the quality of your life through discipline. And then number five is spend. And here's what I'd ask you to do is to just write the word wisely next to that. Spend wisely. Spend wisely. Now, I know this will come as a total shocker, but you have to spend less than you make. Because you are not a politician and you are not a professional athlete. So we have to live within our means, right? This is not popular in our culture to spend less than we make. And so I want to encourage you, your next fill-in, to create a zero-based budget. A zero-based budget means that every single dollar has a purpose. Because for some of you that have never worked on a budget, you would be shocked how much money goes down the drain. You'd be shocked by it. And there's this great app called Every Dollar. If you go into your app store, just type in Every Dollar. That app will help you. Also, Dave Ramsey's website. Go to DaveRamsey.com. It's right on your notes. Slash budgeting slash how to budget. It brings up all the budgeting worksheets that you will need to figure this out. Now, I know for some of us it feels overwhelming. But having a budget doesn't mean it's restrictive. It's all your money. All you're doing with a budget is telling your money where you want it to go versus your money telling you where you've been. That's it. It's coming up with a plan that will help you direct dollars where you want to go. And if you want to become financially free, it will not happen by being passive. It will happen by creating a budget and spend wisely with the dollars you have. And remember, your next fill-in, that spending in one area will always keep you from spending in another. Because we don't have endless resources. Spending in one area keeps us from spending in another. There's a constant balancing act every month. As you go over your budget, you say, what do we have this month? What do we need to pay for? What's an extra? Where do we need to divert some funds to? But here's the problem with all that. America's built on capitalism, and capitalism is built on advertising and impulse buying. You know what you've never heard in an ad? Hey, isn't this thing fantastic? 
I mean, I know you all need it. You need it. Believe me, you need this thing. But here's what we want you to do. We want you to think about it for six months. Uh, We want you to save for it. And whenever you're ready to pay cash, come on back and get one. Have you ever heard that? Absolutely not. Why? Because in America, what do we do? We spend, we spend, we spend first, and everything else suffers. And God says, this isn't the path to financial freedom. This is. And it may not be popular with American culture, but I can promise you, this works. And it works every single time. So, as you spend wisely, because of the credit card thing, because of impulse buying, what I would encourage you to do is spend cash as often as possible. Just use cash. You know why? Cash hurts more when you spend it. It's true. McDonald's just recently did a study, and they found that people that use plastic when they are purchasing their meals spend 47% more at their restaurants. You know why? Because when you swipe, I don't have to think about it. When I swipe, I don't have to think about it. When I swipe, I don't have to think about it until I do. Until the bill comes and you open it up and you're like, what? How could it possibly be this much? We didn't spend, oh yeah, we did do that and we did do that. And oh yeah, okay, yeah, we're screwed, you know? That's how it goes. We've been there, we've all been there. And so my wife and I, we have for years and years and years, we've always used the cash envelope system. And Dave Ramsey's big on this. In fact, this spring, in just a little over under two months, we're doing a financial peace university small group. And if you want to go deep on any of these things, it's an eight-week deal, and you will learn so much about how to do all of these things and become financially free. It changed our lives. I would encourage every single person to do it. If I were to say, what's one class you have to take as soon as possible? Financial Peace University, without a doubt, because it will change your life. And so we use the envelope system. And so every single month we take out cash, and we divide it up between spending, between groceries, between gas, other things that we have going on. And there's our envelopes. And it's week one, week two, week three, week four, and we just use our envelope system. That's how we do it. And has it always been perfect? Absolutely not. Have we still gotten ourselves in trouble? Sometimes. But I can tell you that it has saved us more times than I could ever count financially from ruining ourselves and spending more than we make. It has helped us stay on task with all the goals that we want to hit in our life. So that's enough. If it helped you, it helped you. Great. One last thing as we get ready to close. Truthfully, I don't want anything from you. Honestly, in my heart, I want this for you. I want it for you. Because I know the freedom that's on the other side of this plan. I know it. And here's the thing that I know that I've seen countless, countless times. There's people that are on this journey of faith becoming more like Jesus, they're taking steps. And I so badly want us to be the kind of people that stands on the edge of the cliff. Says, God, I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna trust you. I want so bad for us to be the kind of people that fully trust God, not just the things we pick and choose. But to be the type of people that whether it's relationally, whether it's financially, right, doesn't matter what it is, whether it's sexually, whether it's spiritually, that we would be the type of people that say, God, we are fully trusting in you, that your plan's better than our plan, and in turn, when we jump, we will become more and more and more like you. That's what I want. But here's what I want to share, and it's probably not going to be popular, and I don't mean to offend anybody. 
but I don't think you can ever fully trust God until you are doing finances God's way. You just can't. You can't ever say, God, I fully trust you when you are doing your plan instead of his. And here's what's sad for me, is I've watched people that have known Jesus for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and they're still not honoring God in their finances. They're still doing it their way. God says, come on, if you would just jump, I want you to know what's on the other side of that jump. The thing that countless people could testify to, even in this room, that would say it changed the trajectory of our finances. It changed the trajectory of our lives. And God proved himself faithful. Come on, I want you to experience God's faithfulness and goodness in your life. I want you to sense the provision of God. I want those little miracles to happen that you could point at and say, if it wasn't for God, there's no way that could have happened. And how does that happen? As we begin to trust him with everything, I want you to be free from debt. I don't want it to be like an anchor on your life and an anchor on your future. I want you to be debt-free. So there's nothing tying you down. So when God says, I want you to go to Honduras and go help the church that's there, you can say, God, we can do it because we're financially free to do it. When God says, I want you to give the landing place and help us find a permanent home, you say, God, we're able. That need arises in the community. We can go attack that because why? We're financially free. We got nothing holding us back and nothing holding us down. I want that for you. I want you to experience this freedom that will lead to less pressure, less stress, less arguments, right? On and on. Less fear. Because you're just a manager. You and I don't own any of it. It really all belongs to him. And so your very last feeling, and I'm done, how you prioritize your money will determine God's blessing and involvement in your finances. It's not popular. But it's just the truth. How you prioritize as you are standing on the edge of that cliff deciding whether or not you're going to do it God's way or your way. What you decide in that moment. That's why I said at the beginning, you have to wrestle that issue to the ground, who you trust and what you trust. Because it all hinges on that. That how you prioritize your finances as you stand on the edge of that cliff will determine God's blessing and involvement in your finances. And so last verse, Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth without painful toil for it. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. It brings security as we trust in him. So would you mind closing your eyes all over this room as we get ready to pray? And I just want us to take 30 seconds just in your seat for you to talk to God and God to talk to you. We believe here at Riverway that God can speak right to our hearts. And maybe there was a thing or two on this board. Or maybe for a long time you've been on the edge of the cliff and deciding what you're going to do and who you're going to trust. Maybe between you and God right now you could wrestle that issue once and for all. So between you and God, let's do that right now. So Heavenly Father, thank you that on the other side of that cliff you're waiting for us to put our whole trust in you, to give you our whole heart, 
because we want to become more like you. We, we want to trust you in every area of our life because we believe you know what's best for us. So today, even as we're wrestling with this, even as we go home and start looking at this and working budgets and having conversations with our spouse, whatever it is, would you just remind us again and again of your goodness and your faithfulness that you're inviting us into? And give us the courage to leap. Give us the courage to trust you with everything we have so that we can experience financial freedom. We thank you for your plan. We thank you that you love us enough to give it to us. In Jesus' name.